Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Ethan Fawcett, and I'm a ministry resident here at Rolling Hills. Today, we're coming to the close of our series, Refine. Throughout this series, we've been taking a deep dive into the seven deadly sins, and in today's message, we're looking at the seventh and final sin, pride. In Proverbs 16, we read that pride comes before destruction. If we aren't constantly on alert and aware of where our hearts are, pride can slowly infiltrate many aspects of our lives. So to combat this sin of pride, we can grow in another way, in our humility. Our hope is that today's message will challenge and equip us as we continue to grow to be more like Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Well, I am so excited that you are here to listen to me. I'm, uh, I'm really excited that you get to hear about um, how smart I am, how much I know the Bible more than most people, how can I already anticipate all of your questions. I'm super charismatic, super awesome, and, um, and it's really exciting that we're talking about pride and humility this morning, <laughs> because guys, if I can be honest, I think I'm the most humble person I know. <laughs> now, I would hope that you would never hear someone come up on stage and speak like that. However, I know that these are all thoughts in our heads that I just said out loud. Now, maybe you haven't been there on a Sunday morning up here on stage preaching, but we've all been a part of that meeting where whatever subject we're talking about, uh, we can all say, you know, I, I think I know more than what this person leading the meeting has to say about it. I think I know, it should be me who's setting the agenda. It should be me who sets the tone of this meeting. Or maybe you're like me, and I think, man, this really could have been sent in an email. I don't, (laughs) right? Those are the worst. But there's a bit of pride there that says, I I don't have anything to contribute. I already know everything. Whatever questions they have, whatever they have to say, I don't have anything to contribute because I'm too important to be here, Right? Or uh, maybe there are some of us in the room that I'm going to say suffer from road rage. It's uh, those of us who are constantly on the go. We have to get where we're going as fast as possible. If you would please get out of the left lane because I got to go where I got to go before you get to go where you get to go, right? There's pride there. Or maybe for parents in the room, you know, I know how to parent my child best. I know what my child needs. My child knows, knows me, loves me. I know how to parent my child better than my spouse. In our relationship, I, I know things about my child that they don't, and, and they just need to rely on me. I'll be parent number one in this relationship, and I'll lead them how to parent that child. See, it's all thoughts that we have in our heads that we would never say out loud. Now, we're speaking about pride this morning, and, and it is a special morning. It is a special treat for us to gather together and celebrate what Christ has done in, in communion and, and to wrap up this series on refine. And as we've gone through, as Pastor Jason, our teaching team, have gone through each of the seven deadly sins, it's been um, convicting and encouraging. And I say convicting because um, as we've gone through week to week, hearing through personal testimonies, people coming forward and talking about, man, I've enjoyed this series because I didn't think I struggled with gluttony the way that I do. And now all of a sudden, I'd walk through this and see, I, I really, or sloth, I'm, I'm the hardest worker I don't think I struggle with sloth for us to walk through that sin biblically and see that, man, it hides in us 
right? That's conviction. And those are good, that's a good thing. But I also say encouraging because probably the better thing, the good news of the gospel is Jesus has an answer for that. Amen? So this morning as we wrap up, as we talk about pride and humility, pride is the same, but more so that Christ paid for that. He is the freedom for which we find our hope. So would you bow your heads with me? Meet the Lord in prayer. Father God, so thankful for the morning that um, we've already had, that we, we are able to worship your name, that your presence is here. We feel it. That we're able to celebrate communion for what Jesus has done on the cross. God, I pray for our next few moments together. I pray that the Holy Spirit would stir inside of us the hearts and minds of those in this room, that we would walk away uh, this morning knowing what is that next faith, next step in our faith in following you. Get me out of the way, God, and let your holy word speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, Pastor Jason, the teaching team, if you have kept up with the series so far over the past few weeks, or even if this is your first time visiting, um, we've kind of alluded to each and every one of these sins, alluded to the idea that pride is in a bit of each of these that it is the mother of all sin. Pride is this umbrella term from which we can trace all of these other sins back. And that will be kind of our starting point. But our first text that we'll be opening up to you is in Proverbs chapter 16, if you want to turn there with me. So Proverbs chapter 16, it's Old Testament. It's right after the book of Psalms. So if you take your Bible, kind of split it open, it should be Psalms. And right after that, it's Proverbs. You can also pull it up on the Rolling Hills app. It's up here on the screen. Proverbs chapter 16, we'll start in verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, believe it or not, that's all the Bible has to say about pride. I'm kidding, right? <laughs> the Bible, the entire story of the Bible is a, the story of God reconciling creation to himself, redeeming humanity to himself through the work of Christ. And it's the answer for the defeat of sin and death and the original sin being pride. Think of that as public enemy number one this morning, pride. That if you go back to the story of Genesis, the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve after his own image. He gave all the creation to them, power, dominion, authority to steward it well. And in their own disobedience, they partook of the forbidden fruit. He said, the day you take of it, you will surely die. Now, they didn't die that day, but you can look outside and see what are the consequences of that decision. Right? That they thought, they were bought into the lie that if they partook of the fruit, they would be made like God, knowing good and evil. They felt like God was holding out on them, and they knew for themselves what was best. And because of that, they were cut off from God. They had no longer had a relationship with him, kicked out of the garden. Right, separated. And, and the consequences of that decision was their son Cain murdering Abel because it began with an offering he gave before the Lord in pride, led to envy for his brother, and he reacted in murder. He is exiled out east and establishes what we know as Babylon. And if you keep up with the storyline of the Bible, you know Babylon is the enemy. It is at the end of Revelation, Babylon has fallen. It is the place where they built the Tower of Babel, that mankind would gather together, build up a tower, say, hey, let's make a name for our sake. Let's bring glory to us. And Babylon, throughout Scripture, is the primary characteristic of Babylon is pride. So it's, it's there. 
Right? You can't read through any of Scripture without coming across pride. Pride goes before destruction, haughty spirit before a fall. We're going to walk through some biblical definitions of pride. But before we do that, I just want to throw out a working definition. This is from uh, Oxford Dictionary. Pride, for, pride says, is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, the achievements of those with whom one is closely associated, or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. So, biblical definition number one, you'll see here on your notes. Pride is the root of all sin. And we'll kind of walk through a recap of the last um, six deadly sins and see how is it that pride is in each of them. So firstly, we look at lust. Pride says in lust, I decide how sex and intimacy work. That I decide how I want it, with whomever I want it, whenever, wherever I want it. That can be outside the boundaries of marriage. It can also be within the boundaries of marriage. It leads to abuse and adultery and addiction. And that all starts with the decision that I know what's best for me when it comes to the gift of sex and intimacy. It comes out in lust. In gluttony, it says, I decide how to control my habits and my consumptions. That rather than having the God-given spirit of self-control, I'd rather let it lull me to sleep. Right? Rather than putting a stop to it, I let it control me. Greed says, I decide how to handle my finances. That I can't afford to be generous with others unless I take care of my bottom line first. That rather than trusting in the provision that God is giving us, I'm going to decide and look out for my own. And it leads us to self-centered finances. Sloth says, I decide when to Sabbath or I decide when to rest. It says, I decide when I deserve a couple days off or I decide when I need margin. Or even it says, I decide I don't need the margin. And then we burn out, right? Because we don't respect the design of Sabbath that God has given us or rest. Wrath says, I decide how to handle my emotions. So I get to decide what issues to have righteous anger about rather than letting the word of God speak it for me. And then finally, uh, last week we talked about envy. I, I decide what I deserve. So I deserve his new car, or I deserve her new job, or I deserve that, that family life. You see, pride is anything that we do that fails to put God first. That's a tall order, right? It's a lot of I, me, my, mine. And we, we have to establish this first because there's a, there's a lie that the enemy wants you to believe. And that lie is that anything that is prideful is um, typically boisterous, arrogant, doesn't like to listen to others, high standing. Like we know, we've seen this, examples of people who are filled with pride. And there's truth in that. But Satan wants you to believe that that is only pride. That that is the only way to be prideful. Satan wants you to believe that as long as I'm not too pushy, as long as I give in a little bit, or as long as I think of myself the lowest, I belittle myself, right? Well, then somehow I'm, I can't be prideful, right? Look at all these things I've, I've done. I've dodged the bullet, right? But this is a lie. Now, now why is that a lie? Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. So New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke John, 
We're going to read out of a parable. Now, a parable is a a short story or analogy that Jesus would use to make a point. And some of these were clearly making a point. Some of these were meant for confusion. But for this particular text, he is very clear about what he is saying right here. So Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, Pharisee were the keepers of the law. They're the ones that knew it inside and out. They, on all accounts, had an outward righteousness. But in the end, they were the ones that planned and executed Jesus' crucifixion. They are the bad guys in the story. Our tax collector is one that was known for fraudulent practices. He's typically working for the Roman government. And so he was detested. He was hated around the Jewish community. And yet what Jesus is saying here. He reverses the roles, that it is possible to do good works, to do good things on the outside, and still inwardly be festering with pride. And so we have to be honest with ourselves. This calls us a question for the room is, whose heart did we walk in with today? The Pharisee or the tax collector? Right? We might read our Bibles every day. We might be leading a small group. We might be serving every Sunday. But it is possible that we do not know Jesus because inwardly we are prideful of the works that we have done. See, our faith and our good works can be hijacked by pride. Now, how does this happen? Look at point number two. Pride is the sinful impulse of a God-given desire. It is a sinful impulse of a God-given desire. What do I mean by that? Well, not only is pride deeply rooted in our sinful flesh, but it is also a sinful reflection of good things that God's given us. That though through the choice of Adam and Eve, death entered, sin and death entered the world, we still maintain the gift of authority, of desires, of passions, of talents. There are things that as human beings we are able to do that animals cannot, right? And we are able to express ourselves in those ways. One of the things, we call it refine. This whole series refine because what we're doing is taking the natural things God's given us and refining them through the supernatural grace of Christ. That means it's outside of ourselves. And and why does this matter? Why Why do we have to bring this up? Well, because I think, actually I know, that a lot of people in the Christian life think that following after Jesus means forsaking all of my passions and desires and things I love to do. And that's not true. Remember, Luke 18, we can use these things to to look righteous outwardly, but still be festering with pride, and yet the true follower of Christ, as they mature in Christ, 
They begin to see the golden thread that God has been weaving throughout their lives. They begin to see that, wait, there are desires and there are passions and there are talents that God has given me that I can use to bring him glory. However, in our flesh, we see these as our needs as the need. We see the mission that God's given us as the mission. We see the priorities that he's given us, natural priorities, we see as the priority. We begin to lord that over others. We begin to use it for our selfish gain. Um, Now, I see this in my time here in student ministry at our Nolensville campus. I love it. I love every minute of it. Never in a million years would I thought that I would be um, giving the opportunity to pour into the next generation, raise up next generation of believers, let alone up here. But um, one of the things that I come across when serving is what I can only think to call the theology of teenagers. <laughs> so parents, parents in the room, you might, you might know what I'm talking about. It's like when you tell your teenager to clean your room and then they fire back with a Bible verse that's totally taken out of context. <laughs> and then you have to do the diligent work of unweaving that knot and, and explaining to him why you can't do that. Well, so for me, it goes something like this. Hey, Jacob, the Bible says I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So I'm a big deal. And quite frankly, you should think about that the next time you make a decision on Wednesday night programming. My bad. Sorry. Right? Where he goes, hey, Jacob, um, the Bible says that the older generation should take care of the youth. And well, you're an old man, so you should <laughs> take, turn this 15 passenger van around and go grab me some Chick fil A. Take care of me. <laughs> Brother, I'm 26. What do you mean, old man? <laughs> I, these are ridiculous claims, but there's a seed of truth to them, right? And, and, it's our job, raising up the next generation of believers, our charge is our responsibility to guide them, to shepherd them, to help them see that, yeah, there's a bit of that that's true, but it needs to be refined, right? Yes, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that in Christ, your identity rests. You never have to worry about that, never have to doubt that. No matter the day or the circumstance, you can always come back to him. There is grace for you, absolutely. Yes and amen. But you being made in the image of God means so are others. And you have to be respectful and mindful of that. Or yes, the Bible says that we should raise up the next generation of believers. And and this is a responsibility in my role that I love to be a part of, love to partner with parents to raise up 100%. And I will do everything I can to take care of you spiritually and guide you through that. However, You're also, just as much as we're pouring into you, how much are you pouring into the next generation? How are you serving on a Sunday morning with our kids' ministry? How are you giving back on serve nights, giving back to the community? Um, How are you sharing the gospel with your classmates? See, when I see these things, when I hear these stories, it's encouraging because I know that they're being refined when they do these things. As uh, Pastor Jason said earlier, we had over 100 people across Rolling Hills serving on missions this past week in Atlanta and Phoenix and the Amazon, including 24 middle school students that were serving in Atlanta. I got to lead that trip um, this, this week. They faithfully gave up a few days out of their spring break when they could have been doing literally anything else. But they chose to spend it 
serving, praying over these neighborhoods in Atlanta, working with this church plant, giving back, washing cars for, for teachers at the local school there in Atlanta. And it's incredible because it humbled them, right? It's humbling to do things that otherwise you would not do. And, and it refined them as they continue to serve this church, as they continue to pray over, as they invite people to Easter service. They're just things that they're doing that they know that it matters. And they're learning that there are gifts God has given them that they can actually use for his kingdom. That's what it means to mature in Christ. And to be honest, it humbled me too, right? Rolling with a lot of 24 middle schoolers taught me a few things this past week. You can stay after the service, we'll talk about it. But, uh, but listen, this is what I try to tell our students, and I want you to hear this too, is that God wants to invite you in the greater story that he is writing. And your pride is going to do all it can to keep you out of it. So where are you in his story? Are you giving God control of your finances? Are you giving God control of your time, your family? Are, are you trying to, are you willing to just settle for your own agenda? Point number three here on your notes, pride in anything besides God becomes idolatry. These are the good things that are gifts, the things that we make God things. And that tendency to idolize them is rooted in our pride. See, idolatry reflects our priorities. Idolatry reflects the things that we consider most important, the things that we put stock in. So we begin to feel most important, say, with your schedule. You want to fill it up with as many appointments or as tasks and events as possible. You start to feel important when you're really, really busy. Right? Or let's say you idolize your finances. So you only begin to feel important when your bottom line goes up. You feel less important when your bottom line goes down. Or for some of us that uh, really idolize our social circle, we begin to feel important when our number of followers goes up. But you see where that leads us. It's all circumstantial. It's a cheap number placed on something that's meant to point to something more important. And it's void of any joy. Now, I think, think of social media and how pride comes into it. I think of it, it comes from two camps. Everybody in this room is from two camps or somewhere in between. And, and camp one over here says this. Now, it's you, you, pride in the American dream. So think of that person in your mind. We've all had some experience with social media, with the Facebook post, tweet, whatever. That person in your mind that is always on the golf course every afternoon or at the lake. Um, every other weekend, they're either at Cancun or when it's cold, they're skiing out in Colorado. And you begin to wonder, do they have a job? What do they do? <laughs> like, how are they making money to fund these, these trips, right? They come back and they have the perfect family, have the perfect house, have perfect kids that are always behaving well. They have the perfect dog. It's like this perfect, sinless Jesus dog that's always smiling in the camera. Like, you're like... <laughs> How did you get a dog to do that so you could post it on? It's perfect, right? And so we, we put ourselves up to that. We compare, we fall into comparison to that. We go, okay, I got this vacation coming up. This week is going to be great, going to get away. The kids are, are, are behaving themselves. The dog's going where it needs to go, doing the things it needs to do in the proper place. And so, but then that week passes, vacation's over. Kids are acting back up. Dog's in the vet. We get stressed out about it. I see we idolize this thing and we fall short of it. We start to feel 
less important. So we, we know, like we know social media, the studies have shown that the more that we consume social media, discontentment increases. But then we have camp two, and this is one specifically for believers in the church. This is one that I think we need to be very wary of as well, is the one who says, you know what, God, thank you for not giving me that life over there. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to serve you all the time, that I don't have to worry about the temptation of going skiing every other weekend, right? Like I'm doing all the things. Thank you for the opportunity to serve and really just work on myself rather than have to worry about anybody else. What is this? This is, again, bring it back. The Pharisee and the tax collector. It's the parable all over again. We play this out in our social media as we do, as Jesus said, this is how it happens. And so we have to be mindful of that because both of these camps are devaluing what God is doing in your life. Both of these camps devalue the things that he's giving you regardless of which one you come from. It leaves us empty and ultimately reflects our idols. Jonah chapter 2, this is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, says this, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. See, we're taking good things, we're saying they're enough, Uh, that God isn't enough, and we're actually cutting ourselves off from hope or love. It's forcing us to strive, strive for happiness when God is saying, here, I'm giving you joy. It ultimately reflects a lack of trust because we're missing out on what God is giving us. So point four, pride shows a lack of trust in God and a surplus of trust in self. The great Baptist theologian and preacher Charles Spurgeon put it like this. Men will allow God to be everywhere but on his throne. Now, none of us would say that we're actively trying to tear down the kingdom of God. And I would hope none of us in this room would say that we're registered members of the Church of Satan, right? But anytime that we lack trust in God and put all of our trust in self, we're doing the same thing as if we were totally against him the entire time, right? We were meant to put our trust in him because when we start to put trust in ourselves and our own agenda, that's when we start to tear others down. That's when we start to tear other communities apart. I don't have to explain this. You can look outside and see men, women who trusted themselves and in the course of doing so, destroyed entire communities, we were never meant to trust ourselves. We we're meant to put all of our trust in God. And, and pride in that seeks to split us up and isolate us. Now, this lack of trust in God is a weakness that Satan will exploit. And he does this in two ways. One, he will entice you to build up your own kingdom. Right, worry about yourself. Don't worry about the greater picture God's painting behind you. <laughs> worry about your own kingdom, your own agenda. Build yourself up. That's one. Two, he wants to distract you from what Jesus has forgiven you of. Rob you of that joy and that gratitude. Jesus puts it like this in Luke 7. He's anointed by a sinful woman. He says this, As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... 
he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, that's a day's wages, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. See, our humility is tied into our understanding of God's forgiveness of our sins. And Satan wants nothing more than for you to forget that. And you, you, a sign of this is when you begin, you, you either belittle yourself, you think, God, uh, Jesus can never forgive me for the things that I've done. You want to belittle yourself, or you want to build yourself up and think, you know, I think I got this Jesus thing figured out. I'll, I'll take it out on my own from here. That's Satan. He wants to distract you. And, and we need to be recentered on, hey, what has Jesus done for us? What has he forgiven us of? And gratitude. We see God rightly. Proverbs 13.10 says this, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. See, we need people around us to trust in, to encourage us, to point us to Jesus. At Rolling Hills Community Church, it's in the name. We prioritize community, Rolling Hills Community Church. So we do this throughout community groups, throughout the week, from every life, walk, circumstance. We walk through scripture together. We're able to hold each other up, hold each other accountable, encourage one another. Um, men's ministry, we have May 5th, we have this thing called Verses, Verses Conference. It's a chance for us as men to gather together, worship, break out into small groups, and, and, and walk through life together. The tagline for that is, don't go alone. So if you're used to going alone or you think you can go alone, you're going to try to figure out how to go it alone, this isn't the place for you. Actually, it might be. Yes, you need to be there if you think you can go alone, right? See, pride seeks to split us up and to isolate us. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Peter says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what's the remedy for that? He's looking for someone who's separated. What's the remedy? He says, resist him. How do we do that? Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. See, when we remember what Jesus has done for us and when we remember the work he's doing through our brothers and sisters around the world, that should fill us up with hope and for joy. It is one of the most encouraging things to gather together with believers, even in the worst circumstances of my life, to hear how Jesus is moving in theirs, right? to hold us up. It is one of the most encouraging things to look, even in the worst circumstances of Middle Tennessee, to look across the world, to know in China, the underground church is exploding. The gospel's being preached. People are being converted. There's things happening over there that's not in my purview. And it's important that I'm reminded of that. And you're not going to be reminded of that if you're completely isolated. We need that community. We need people around us to trust in and to encourage us and ultimately to point us to Jesus. So we'll talk about characteristics of humility. Number five, pride struggles with the temporary. Humility rests in the eternal. True humility comes from true joy. False humility comes from happiness. And happiness is great, but happiness comes and goes. Right? We're looking for joy. Pride says to struggle for that which is fleeting, to struggle for that which is temporary, to constantly say, hey, look at what I can do. 
And the fruit of that labor is happiness. But humility says to rest in that which is eternal. To always say, hey, look at what Christ has done. And the gift of that rest is joy that we have in him. Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Who's that this morning? Yeah. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is a wooden cross piece that you would place on an animal like an oxen, be able to steer them where they need to go. And, and if we're being honest, God has created us to worship. He's created us to take on something, worship something, whether that's him, whether that's worship ourselves. You can worship nothing. That is still worship. You are putting on some sort of yoke. You're just putting on that, that cross piece in some form or fashion. And Jesus is saying, listen, I am the only yoke you were ever meant to put on. My burden fits well because it's what God created you to do. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the day of the week, regardless of what's going on, Christ has still died on the cross. Christ was still resurrected. Christ is still sitting at the mercy seat in heaven, regardless of what you think you can do. And it's not to belittle ourselves, not to see ourselves highly, but the point is to see him properly, see him rightly. And that's Point six, humility is fundamentally relational. It means it doesn't come outside of ourselves, but it comes through Christ. Paul says this in Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. There it is again. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, Christ died in our place for the purpose of our freedom. And so he did this so that we could find Hope and joy, despite the fact that in this life, we're going to be tempted to buy back into that pride, to, look, to, to either say, look what I can do, or you can never forgive me for what I have done. That both comes from pride. Until Christ comes again, we're going to, we're going to struggle with that. We're going to, it's going to be a temptation. But he can, we, we can have a relationship with him. We can have a relationship with the very definition of humility, Jesus Christ. And when we begin to humble ourselves before him, that's when we can be humble to others. So if, if you go away today and you're saying, I really need to work on my humility. I don't even know where to begin. Get on your knees before the Lord. That's where humility begins. And when you recognize what Jesus has done for you, then you express humility to others. You see the great story that God has invited you into. And it doesn't have to be your agenda anymore. Say, I know who wins in the end. I know whose kingdom I'm building for. Not mine. Christ Jesus. So when we put to, death our, put to death self, we find our freedom and our hope in Christ. Bow your heads with me. Father God, as we enter a time of response, I pray for the hearts and minds of the people in this room. I pray for um, those who will Listen to this, God. Listen to my words. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move as we reflect on what does true humility mean, God? And anyone who is not have a relationship with you, God, maybe this is the first time that they're realizing that they haven't had a relationship with you, God. I pray that you would speak to them. I pray, God, that their pride would get out of the way, that they would be able to come to you, God. I pray that 
we would recognize that our humility doesn't mean putting down ourselves. Our humility doesn't mean building ourselves up for the things that we can do, but our humility is found at what you have done. God, remind us of that this morning. Remind us of that in um, the rest of our day, in the next week, over the next month, God, that we would know what it means to follow after you, that that next step, whatever it is, those passions, those talents, those abilities, those things that you've given us, those are not things to forget, God, but they're things to use for your glory. So Jesus, we praise your name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of our Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it or share it with some friends. You can also check out some of our other podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcasts, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, Download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful for you.